Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I am Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who has been dealing with drug addiction, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation for several years. I am walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. I have known our next guest for over 20 years through our church, and she's known Joey since the first day we brought him home as a baby. For a long time, I knew her just as a a wonderful choir member. She's very sweet and gracious and warm. But eventually I became aware that Sharon is a world-renowned licensed clinical social worker who's an expert on Virginia Satir, who is considered to be the grandmother of family therapy. So our guest, Sharon Lushin, is the author of three books on the work of Virginia Satir. Plus she's the former president of the Satir Global Network, a master trainer and a therapist. Since 2011, she's worked with ex-prisoners and ex-gang members in South Central Los Angeles. She recently published a book that tells the stories of 14 of those men. The book is called Choosing Your Life Story, Inspirational Stories of Transformation from the Streets of South Central Los Angeles. And I wanted to bring Sharon onto the podcast because she has so much wisdom to share in the area of trauma and healing. She has worked with some of the toughest cases that one could think of, and she has helped many, many people transform their pain into healing. She's going to help us bring compassion and understanding to our struggling teens. And one more thing, she was one of the first supporters of this podcast, even when it was just a kernel of an idea. So I am very, very happy to welcome Sharon Lushin to our podcast, and I'm grateful that you took the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Sharon. It's truly my privilege, Beth. (laughs) Uh, So why don't you just say just a little bit about how you know Joey? How are you in this mix here? Okay, I I think I know Joey when he was a sparkle in your eye. Yes. (laughs) And, um, you know, because we walked through that time with you, um, we lived all the joy and all the the anxiety about getting him and then watching him as a baby and watching him grow as a toddler um, and watching him grow as an adolescent and um, being a part of the time when he was going through the process of uh, passages in our church and uh, being a, a mentor to him at that point. So I f- feel like I've uh, been another grandma in a certain kind mm, of way. To him. Definitely. I'm sure he would consider you like that. I remember when we knew we were going to adopt Joey, but we had to wait a couple of weeks for whatever paperwork or whatever, mm-hmm. but they sent us pictures and I carried around this photo album and I showed you mm-hmm. and you saw Joey lying on his back with his arms out really? and you said, oh my gosh, he is an open child. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. I totally remember that. <laughs> I now I think about that and I think okay he was open because he'd given up I think uh he'd been passed around yeah. to all those nurses every day and he's oh. like whatever just yes. do whatever he was dissociated I think already yes but uh, anyway he sure was cute I yes just he was looked at those pictures 24 <laughs> 7 okay so since you're an expert on Virginia Satir mm-hmm. uh and it's spelled S-A-T-I-R. And most of our listeners probably are not therapists or know about her. Could you just tell a little bit about her? Sure. In fact, for people who are not therapists, one of the most powerful books that she wrote that's still impacting and changing people's lives around the world is called The New People Making. Hmm. 
And the word itself is like, okay, how do you help make people mm. in the fullest sense? Um, she was absolutely a revolutionary because mm. she came along after Sigmund Freud and she said, I don't think that's the way to help people grow and heal. Mm. She had come from a farm in Wisconsin and she'd been very impacted by watching the seeds be planted mm. and grow. And so that became her metaphor of like what she called the seed model for families. Mm. She said, you can't make a plant grow by jerking on it. Mm. Okay. You oh, can make, you true. can help a plant to grow. First of all, you can't create a plant mm -hmm. and you can't create people, but mm -hmm. you can help them grow. Mm -hmm. And the way you help them grow is by creating a nourishing environment that doesn't mean you don't set limits. Set limits for a child is part of the nurturance, mm -hmm. but you set limits, and then you help keep what she called the weeds out of the way. Mm -hmm. If they, you know, we all end up with weeds because none of us come from perfect families. Mm -hmm. So she created what she called a model of potential rather than pathology. Wow, that must have been re really revolutionary back then when everyone was. was thinking their mother issues and all that stuff from Freud. Yep. Oh wow. What year was she born? She was born in 1916. 19th, okay, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you studied under her? Yes, Did, personally. Yeah, mm -hmm. you were like her protege. Well, I was one of the, the way she taught, she believed that the most important thing a therapist could ever do is work on themselves. And mm -hmm. so what she did was she created these intensive month-long retreats in the mountains mm -hmm. where you were wow. basically in therapy around the clock for 30 days. Oh. And I did that for two summers. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, gosh, I bet you needed a month off after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're talking about suicidal ideation, I certainly had it because I didn't think I was going to survive it. Really? During those yeah. retreats? Yeah. Really? And wow. what's interesting is when I was coming down the mountain, I said to myself, thank God I survived and I will never do this again. That was the first summer. <laughs> <laughs> the second, uh, when I got home, I was went back to being a therapist and people said something has changed. Oh. And I went, really? Because I had no intention of following through. <gasps> And so they could feel that difference wow. in the energy. And her model is all about the free flow of energy mm -hmm. when you're at peace inside. Mm -hmm. And she called it being at peace within, between, and among. Within, between, and among. Mm -hmm. Me, you, and all of us. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Uh, was she Buddhist or something? That's like no, the Buddhist No, no. Uh, really interesting history in terms of religion. Her mother was Christian science, mm -hmm. and her father was not. So her mother did not believe in doctors. So when she mm. was uh, going into school, she was in kindergarten, she got double mastoiditis, and her mother mm. wouldn't take her to the doctor. So she was deaf for the first two years she oh, was wow. in school. And I think that's one of the reasons that she was such an intense, she was right with you up in your face. She was oh. actually reading your lips. Then, her, then, then after two years, the hearing came back, okay, because oh. the infection went away. Mm -hmm. um, and then she got appendicitis. Oof, and I've she was laying in bed for weeks, and her mother wouldn't take her to the doctor. Oh, her father got so angry, he picked her up and took her to the hospital. By that time, she was full of infection wow. throughout her insides, and I think that's why she couldn't have children. Wow, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she said that as a child, her parents fought all the time. Mm. And she thought it was over uh, 
religion because mm-hmm. that's what you know they'd fight over. Mm-hmm. But she said when she grew up, she realized no, it wasn't religion. It was that her father felt second to her mother's religion. And Virginia was the oldest of five. When she was 18 months old, her mother had twin boys who were uh, very, very ill. Oh, yeah. And so uh, Virginia said, until my mother's on her deathbed, I thought that my mother didn't love me because then she had two other children. And she said she was constantly having me take care of other children. And I felt like she just pushed me away. And she said, when she was dying, I finally said, why did you hate me, Mom? Oh, my gosh. And her mother said, I didn't hate you. Uh, the babies, I thought the babies were dying, and I just had to put all my oh. attention there. But as a little kid, wow. you make very, very strong decisions, and they're very simple. I call them life sentences, and they're very short, like, yeah, Mom it's hates your, me. Very, It's your toddler brain, right? Or, yeah, you know, yeah. they don't have big words yet or fancy thoughts. Mm-mm. Very, very small little little nuggets of mm-hmm. untruth usually mm-hmm. right sometimes mm-hmm. maybe it's true though uh but uh and, and it carries even this very successful therapist and she still carried that all the way until her mother died yes wow yeah i don't know if you've ever heard of esalen it's a yeah very, yeah that's where she got most of her personal therapy and she ended up being oh. the director there really so she was uh treated by fritz pearls oh. um I forget who else at this point, but uh, Esalen is a like a retreat center yes, on the central on the coast. coast. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, yeah, it's kind of it's a little woo woo. It had that that reputation. Yeah, I yes. bet. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so what made you want to be a therapist? Well, this is very interesting. I grew up in a Methodist church, and my parents were like, you know, that was their life, but they were very um, they lived it. They didn't preach it at all. Like. Okay. And so it meant a lot to me. And I went to the University of Illinois and made a decision that I wanted to go into seminary mm. in Northwestern University in Chicago. Yeah. So I go to apply and the man listens to me and he said, I think you're in the wrong place. Oh. I think you need to be in a, a school of social work, not, not oh, seminary. Wow. Well, do you feel like that uh, was the right choice? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but there's still a part of me that wants to go to seminary. Oh, well, it's never it too late. it would be a Unitarian seminary. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so you went and got your uh, clinical social worker degrees? No, when you go to school social work, you don't get a clinical degree. Oh. You get a master's in social work, which is very oh. broad. So I started out in the field of foster care. <gasps> oh, wow. And in child protection, both in wow. Chicago and Iowa and Los Angeles. Like what we would call CPS around here, yeah. Child Protective Services. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know that about you. And we had run-ins with CPS. Um, they n- never were very good. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't help us at all. We we called them to try to help us. Right. And they did not help us at all. I'm sure you were helpful. Mm-hmm. But I, I always remember thinking about these people going from door to door to one horrible situation to another. How do you, as a social worker, how do you, mm-hmm. oh, how do you carry all that? Well, that's probably how I ended up going to work with Virginia Satir because oh. I didn't, I carried it in my body and I was sick a lot. Yeah. You're so empathetic. Yeah. And yes, yes. Yes. Oh, so it, it, um, it came through your body. Yes. Your body's like, hell no, yeah. I don't want to deal with all that. Yeah. And so it, it woke you up a little bit and, or you didn't realize it. At that um, point. I guess it woke me up. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you found Virginia Satir mm-hmm. and uh, went and studied with her. Right. 
Wow. And then was your practice always with these kind of really high risk clients? What you unconsciously do things, right? Mm-hmm. So I had been sexually abused as a child by my uncle. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And so I unconsciously then began to work with people with sexual abuse histories. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's how it happens. Wow. I bet. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. Uh, Do you feel like um, that that's why you're on the planet? Is that feel like like, um, you were able to help other people because you have that same experience? It wasn't conscious, but I'm sure it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was actually a therapist before I realized what it had it was all unconscious or out of my awareness. And I was in a peer consultation group. And one of the people said to me, you're way too reactive to this, something going on. So that's how I began to discover what had happened to me. Yeah. Oh, wow. You had stuffed it so far down. You couldn't Mm -hmm. even remember it in your room. I I could remember it, but I was in denial about the impact. Oh, wow. And I'm sure that happens so often because the yes. kid, a little kid can't process it. No. They're like, what? Uh, you have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you have a, a client uh, that has been in so much pain, I mean, you work with ex-gang members and people that are traumatized over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. How do you... I, I can't ask, like, how do you do it? Because you have to go to school for many years and do this work for years and years and years and create this heart that you have. But, like, how do you even start? How do you mm-hmm. how do you start and how do you have hope that whatever you are going to do might help? Prior to um, learning with Virginia Satir and then one of the people who's now one of the most famous um, teachers in the field of therapy, his name is Richard Swartz. Mm-hmm. Um, after studying with them, I began to make a shift, which is that up till that time, I felt as though I had to be the compassionate witness to the trauma. I've heard that before, like that's what therapist jobs are, compassionate yeah, but, witness, but not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. If you've had this kind of training, which okay. is the most powerful thing you can do is elicit the higher self spirit of the person to become oh. a compassionate witness to, the, to themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Then the therapist isn't holding it for everybody. That's right. You're not holding the bag. You give the responsibility to that person's higher self, which can handle it, right? Exactly. Uh, the higher self, uh, at least the way I think of it, is is the thing that's one with the universe. That that we're that is the stardust. That exactly. is the, and so it can handle whatever. Exactly. So yeah. you hand it to them through. I'm sure it's a long process, mm-hmm. but you get. So they can access their higher self. Wow. And it, and it's through that compassion or curiosity of the higher self or spirit, which by its nature has, when it heals the, the, the wounded parts, mm-hmm. it is so much more powerful because it's the ultimate integration. Oh. You know, the, uh, up until that time, the trauma had to be separated from you, right? Right. So. Yeah, that's people stuff it or uh, denial, yeah, all that is suppress, the way to separate yeah. yourself. Like, or no. dissociate. You know, dissociate. The, the ultimate mm-hmm. with abuse is when it is so awful and so prolonged, maybe a whole childhood, then there has to be a complete dissociation so the parts don't even know each other. Ah. That's called multiple personality disorder in the old vernacular. Oh, right. So. Now it's called dissociative disorder, but that what... What we now know is that the, that that's not a disorder other than that the parts don't know each other. We all have parts, and we right. all have a self and spirit. 
right? So could a, a person that grew up with a loving family and no trauma really at all, could they get dissociative disorder or is it really no. just people that have been traumatized? Yeah. What about people, all of your clients, ex-gang members and the ex-prisoners that you worked with in South Central? Mm. Have all of them been traumatized? Yes. Wow. Probably multiple different ways, right? Neglect, violence, sexual assault, all of it. One day I was working with a group of men, and uh, this man, I could see he was uh, moving a lot, you know, like he was in pain. And I Mm -hmm. said, are you in pain? He said, oh, yeah. He said, "Um, some days the um, arthritis from my bullets uh, gets to me. I said, the bullets? He said, yeah, I've got seven in my leg (gasps) that they can't take out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. When I'm having a bad day, at least I don't have seven bullets in my leg. My goodness. Right. right. That puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us how you got involved with that population in South Central? Sure. Um, my husband and I usually go out for bagels on Sunday morning before we come to mm-hmm. the choir. <laughs> and I read the Sunday Times. And I had had a client many years ago who was a reporter at the LA Times, and he told me that the the prime uh, column in the LA Times is the left column on the front page. Yeah. So I always read that. Yeah. So it was about this fabulous priest in Los Angeles who's having a marvelous impact mm. on teens. So I started reading it, and at one point it said that reporter said, "So why do you think you're having such an impact?" And he said. Mm. I think it's because I ask them how they're feeling, and then I listen profoundly. Oh, I still wow. get goosebumps when wow. I think about it. I went, oh, my God. So I called the L.A. Times, got the name of the priest, called the priest and said, I have a program that might add to what you're doing. Mm. He said, come and present to my staff. Mm-hmm. I did, and they liked it. And so I've been connected. That was 2012. Mm. And in different ways, I've been connected with them ever since. Mm-hmm. Wow. And just uh, listeners that don't know Sharon, she's a, a white woman, looks like, a, you know, <laughs> every white woman <laughs> <laughs> walking into South. How did that go the first time? I oh, wonder. this was fascinating. So the the first time uh, I had them all stand up and I had one of those puff balls. I don't know if you know what they are, where you kind of little dingle dangle things all on the outside. Oh, like what you put on a stocking cap? Uh, no, but they're rubber. Oh, yeah, like kind of a yeah. play toy to keep your yeah, hands Yeah, only busy. I had a bigger one. Okay, yes. And so I had them stand and use that to talk. And right away they loved it because they would just work it, work it, work it uh-huh. as they talked. Later on they called it the magic ball. <laughs> um, and so I made a little bit of a connection, but, you know, this was just the beginning. So then I had to have a melanoma removed from my shoulder that week. And I had told them that I would had surgery, but I'd be back. So I tell my friend I have to go back, and she said, you can't go back. You've had surgery and you're still not safe to drive. So I said, oh dear, because I know if I don't go back, it's over. Yeah. So my husband said, I'll drive you. Aww, so he husband. took me and um, went to, it was in a high school. Um, and I'm walking down the corridor to go to the class and the priest comes along and he said, hey, how are you doing from the surgery? And I don't know why, but I just pulled back my blouse and said, well, you want to see? And the surgeon had used black thread and it looked horrible. He looked went, like Frankenstein. Yeah, he went, oh my God, show the guys that you'll be, you'll have street cred. <laughs> <laughs> so we go in and they say, hey, Sharon, how are you feeling? And I said, okay, but I want you to see what I did. And one of the guys said, 
I got bullets in me, but I'm telling you, if I had that, I'd be home in bed. I wouldn't be here. And I oh was my in. Gosh. I was in. Wow. And then a... later, this is really, it still gives me goosebumps. Um, one of the guys honored me at something. And what he told them was that he had told me that he wanted to get his college degree. And I said, why don't you come to the house and I'll work with you, mentor you. Mm. And I had no idea, Beth. But he told this group that he was honoring me. He said, um, Sharon invited me from the hood to her house. Mm. I went, really? He said, oh, yeah. You know, for a white woman? Because, mm. I mean, he had a big criminal history, right? Sure. Oh, but, my gosh. Pff, I knew him. I, you know, I knew his heart. Mm -hmm. so, Did he come study with you? Oh, yeah. He got his degree. What? And he not only got his degree, but he had a vision. And I thought, okay, his... His vision was that he wanted to set up homes for single mothers and their children. Hmm. He now has two in Los Angeles. Wow. With 14 in the one, I don't know what's, how many are in the next, 14 mothers and their children wow. in this. Yeah. So he created a nonprofit organization. He yep. did the whole, wow. Yes, he's phenomenal. Well, Sharon, that would not have happened if you wouldn't, wouldn't have gone to that, uh, that yeah. group. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Grateful that you got to see that. Grateful yeah. for the gifts you have. Grateful. Yeah. Just, just, um, grateful that they trusted me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I was there to add whatever I could and to learn from them. I mean, mm. their courage. Um, I usually met with them on Monday mornings when I was running the group and we would start with appreciations and almost mm. always they would say i'm appreciative to have survived the weekend and be alive i mean it's like whoa and since the pandemic things are really really bad really yeah. have you kept going during the pandemic i'm not going up there um because some of they lost some of their grant i wasn't being paid but they lost some of the grants so things have changed but i do mentoring every week with one of the guys mm. And then he's in the office, so the other people say hi. Oh, and stuff. oh that's nice. You still yeah. have a connection. Yeah. I bet that the people that you're working with feel completely rejected by the rest of society. I bet when you come in and are warm and accepting, they're like, what? I don't get that anywhere else. I I think that, I don't know about altogether, but I know that it's a, it's a big thing. We were talking about uh, self-esteem one day, and this black man said, I long to be significant. And I went, mm. oh, that's not a word I would have ever mm. put on. I, I try to teach them list of longings and stuff to be able to be conscious of. I went, significant. Mm. Oh, wow. It is, you know, I was watching that horrible show called 48 Hours last night. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, On yes. crime. And, of course, they're showing a black man who's murdered somebody. And I'm listening to him, and he was completely depersonalized and dissociated from himself. Mm. You know, so he's talking about killing these people like nothing. And I thought, if you don't understand how this happened, you're going to be racist, you're going to be prejudiced, you're going to be condemning. And, and you, of course, you can't tolerate murder, but if you begin to comprehend where all that mm. came from, what it's like for black boys mm. to not ever be seen as significant right they're seen as a threat yeah. once they get Yo, old enough big time. right yeah. Ah. yeah were you ever afraid no i wasn't never well, and one day i was walking out um 
And the guy said, we're going to walk with you today. And I said, why? They said, because it's Christmas time. And that becomes more dangerous up here. Because, they, you know, they might think I got money on me and they want it. Oh, wow. I know. Wow, it's nice of them talking to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was your husband um, not super thrilled that you were going up there? Was he, he, never, he never said anything. Aw, good yeah. husband. He, he knows me. <laughs> yeah, he knows you can't stop her anyway, so whatever. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to let her go. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If... If parents have a teen that's struggling like Joey has been, mm -hmm. what what would you say to them? What what would be the most important thing for them to know or to do? First of all, I think it's all about knowing yourself. And like I said, you know, I had to go through all those hard, hard, intensive retreats for myself. Mm -hmm. um, because adolescence is going to trigger all of your unfinished business. Your child going through adolescence yes. will trigger the parent. Oh, yes, yes, oh. yes, yes. Wow. Okay, that's intense. Because, all right, parents like to think that the kid's the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my kid is a disaster. He won't mm -hmm. clean his room. He's mm -hmm. smoking weed, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the kid is the problem. Mm -hmm. And we drag them through the therapists and the, the medical systems and the recovery systems. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, can somebody fix this kid? Mm -hmm. Oh, But what you're saying is that their adolescence brings up all your stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the both of you are kind of mm -hmm. going through adolescence together. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so adolescence crazy. in some ways replicates the toddler, toddler mm -hmm. age, right? So there's so much rebellion and blaming and mm. criticizing, and it can activate all of your own blaming back mm. or your own, I call it fight, fright, and freeze, right? Mm -hmm. So either go into blaming back labeling, which I think has become a cancer in this oh, society. Yes. Um, or you withdraw mm -hmm. and, or placate and enable, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but they're all defenses. Mm -hmm. It's really, really important and hard to stay centered and not reactive. Very hard. Uh, is there like, I've read about polyvagal theory and the breath and that to get yourself grounded. Is there something mm -hmm. you could give us like a 10 second little nugget of what to do if you like, like really charged up? The more that you can practice a consciousness about how am I being right now, mm. the quicker your brain It's like awareness is like a muscle. Okay. So the more you can get aware, oh my, what is my favorite thing? Is it blaming? Is it placating is it being distracting is it being intellectual whatever you know there's mm. that virginia came up with four categories that she thought were the most common mm. blaming placating which are you know that's fight flight mm -hmm. i also put in there withdrawing mm -hmm. and then being irrelevant or distracting oh just like i'm not even gonna think about that right now i'm going somewhere else or um gee beth that 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 drum looks really colorful Try to get you off of oh the hot the topic. Got yeah, it. change the subject. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Or t today it's all about phones and pad iPads and stuff. Sure. Constantly distracting, distracting, mm -hmm. distracting. Uh, or being super reasonable, where you are always interested in the facts, but you don't want to talk about feelings at all. Oh, I know many people like that. Oh myself yeah. Included. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so hard to look at ourselves and. Uh, it's so much easier to just put it on mm -hmm. your kid because they can't really do anything mm -mm. back to you or what well, they can, but right. they don't. Um, they're in their own whirlwind anyway. Right. So what would happen if 
if a teen was starting to have trouble and the parent, instead of pathologizing them and dragging them from one place to the next, said, stop, let me think about how I'm doing and what is this triggering in me? What difference would that make? Won't the kid just keep vaping and keep doing whatever anyway? Well, you know, I can't predict. Right, right. But the more you can stay in your center, the greater chance you have that the people around you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. And usually the way it starts is that you get reactive in whatever your fight, flight, or it mode is. Mm-hmm. But if you start practicing, then you go, oh, a minute. And then mm-hmm. you try to pause and, and come back from a because it's all in the energy. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can say the same words with different energy. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just practicing because if I blame you, your tendency is going to want to be to blame me back or leave or something. Oh, get defensive. Yeah. Yeah. And so it takes a lot of consciousness mm-hmm. to not, you're like, mom, you're rah, 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 which the kids do, right? Yes. And yes. then not to come back in that, mm-hmm. in that same energy. Right. You have to be uh, more mature than your teenager. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but if you haven't worked on yourself at all, yep. then you really are still a teenager in your emotional learning. Exactly. Right? And the, the, the entity that is is reminding yourself of what you're doing, the one that says, what am I doing right now? That's your higher self, right? Exactly. That's what we call the prefrontal cortex. It's the, the front part of your brain. The back part is the reptilian, which is the fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. It's protection. And it's so fast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it takes practice to bring it up. It does. I am starting to get to that point. I'm starting to be less freaked out when Joey does stuff. If I get a call, uh, whatever, I, I am not freaking out nearly as much as I used to. So I think that's progress. That's huge. That's huge. <laughs> and I've noticed when I am less freaked out, Joey feels much more stable. Mm-hmm. Like, like when mom's freaked out too, he's like, well, shit, now what? My mom's not helping me either. She's, she's got her own anxiety now about what I'm doing. So, oh, crap. So when I can be stable and calm when he calls me and tells me what what he just did, he he recovers quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still doing stupid stuff, but he's uh, not stupid. Uh, he's still doing self-destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he comes out of it quicker mm-hmm. and he comes toward me. Mm-hmm. He's he's asking for my help. Um, he's coming my direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because I've calmed down. Wow. And I'm not chasing after him and rah, you got to blah, 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 blah. That's wonderful, Beth. Um, oh, it took me a long time though. Oh, yes. You know, because with your child, I mean, it's like you have so much investment, right? Oh, so hard. Yes. It's so hard to see them hurting and, and our, the medical system, they just run you from here to there. And oh. the, the, the recovery, I have not really had much luck with any of the recovery mm-hmm. treatment center places that we've tried. And, you know, the things that the culture offers is not what we really need. Right. We need Sharon to uh, mm, help us. No. All of us need Sharon. <laughs> well, one of the things that I find very helpful for myself and for other people is to think in terms of parts rather than whole. So mm. I have a part of me that withdraws mm. or I have a part of me that labels. Okay. And what what part of you gets triggered when I have that part? Or, you know, because... In a family, A impacts B, B impacts A, A impacts C. I think Virginia figured out 
even if there are just two children in the family, you've got something like 12 triangles. Oh, sure, between each of yes, them. Yes, and, and oh. triangles pull, pull, pull to all kinds yes. of... Yes. In fact, in the training, the first thing, the first day you get into a triangle, and by the third day of the training I was with, there were already people in big conflict with each other because wow. it brings up all of your family stuff. Oh, gosh. Who's in? Who's out? Who's the ally? Who's the messenger? Yeah. All the roles that we play in our families, right? Peacemaker. Wow. Yeah. Parentified child. And all of that is subconscious until you oh, yeah. work on it yeah. very intentionally. Yeah. And so we just are acting out of whatever messed up stuff happened to us when we were kids. We just mm -hmm. keep it going. Yep. And then it takes a lot of resources and wherewithal to be able to have room in your life and money to pay for it to get this kind of treatment, right? Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I've been working on psychoeducational level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're educating other therapists and other entities, other organizations? Uh, just anybody who's interested in learning about, you know, the internal process. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you ask originally what made Virginia different, and I was pointing out potential, um, that potential was that she believed that everybody had their own resources for mm. growing, changing, for hope, for courage, mm. for, you know, learning, for compassion, mm. and that the spirit or higher self or soul is never, ever damaged, no matter what has mm. happened to you. Mm. And that is a powerful, powerful thing mm -hmm. to believe and to know wow. and i've worked with people who've been tortured from the time literally they were born until Whoa. they were 17. wow yeah so and for them to have connection with their spirit and their soul mm. it's in fact one of the things that i've learned is that the people who've been hurt the most uh oftentimes are the most compassionate mm. yeah yeah, yeah. I know with Joey, he's uh, he's carrying around so much pain that is uh, um, contributing to him doing these self-destructive behaviors. And he has such a heart to help other people. He says, Mom, if we can help one person not have as much pain as I have had, uh -huh. that's all worth it. I yeah. just want to help someone else. Yeah. And he's... Um, I, I admire him so much because even in the depths of his despair, he still is wanting to help other people. He was in the psych hospital, the very first psych hospital he was in. He gave this other kid his shirt. Literally. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. Mm. And I think everybody, I agree with Virginia Satir that everyone has that potential mm -hmm. and you can't lose hope on anyone. Right. No matter what they've done, no matter what, you know, no matter what has happened everyone has the potential but don't you think they have to run into somebody that will help them though it can't, it can't just no. like happen no it can, oh, it can? That's, that's why i wrote the book one story the first person that i worked with individually when i met up there uh his name is lewis and he's in the book and lewis said that he got into trouble he got he was not addicted to drugs he was addicted to gang in uh, adrenaline oh yeah which, uh -huh. and that every morning what am i going to do to uh, pump up that how am i going to get yeah. into trouble so he at 16 got a gun and loaned it to somebody else who killed somebody uh, and he was put in prison f for over 20 years wow and 
he said that when he went to juvenile authority first, they had a woman who came in on Sundays and did Bible study with him. And one day, she looks very distraught. So he, the kid said, what's wrong with you? And she said, well, I had this really weird dream last night. What was it? Well, I dreamed that one of you is going to become a leader and do great things. Mm. And the kids all looked at Lewis and said, yep, it's you. And he said, no way, no way. And he continued to act out and act out. Um, and then the next year, another person came and said to him the same thing. I sense that you are destined for great things. Wow. No way, no way. So then he goes to like Folsom prison, hard, mm. hardcore, right? Wow. And he's working, and one of the guys who's older says, hey, I want you to help me out with a program for teens to try to keep them from getting here. And he mm -hmm. says, no way. He mm -hmm. said, yeah, you're, you, you need to do this. So he starts working with that. And then, and he was still what he would call violent, got into a lot of fights on the yard and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then there was an earthquake, and they were all locked down. And he said he's lying in his bed, his bunk, and he's looking up at the one above him. And he thought, if I don't change my life, this is it. This is it. Mm. I'm going to change my life. Wow. Will you help me, God? So huh. he starts, he goes down to, they had a socializing room where they had television. And instead of socializing with the guys, he says, I'm going to meditate in the corner. And he said, I got so much pushback. Who in the hell do you think you are? Wah, 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 wah. Uh, but he just kept it up. And he said, one day, he said, okay, God, if you help me get out of here, I will go back to my community, and I will mm -hmm. try to help restore the community that I helped destroy. Wow. And he was my first contact, and I still love Lewis. Aww. And he did that. He went back he to did. his community, wow. uh -huh. and he started uh, an organization called Advocates for uh, peace and urban unity that's still is it here in LA? Yeah, still thriving. Uh -huh. And they created something called Safe Passages, mm. where they would get up in the morning and get on the buses mm. or walk the kids to school so they'd be safe going to school. Wow. Yep. That is an incredible story. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that just kind of happened. God or uh, whatever that is yeah uh, kind of spoke to him through the earthquake mm -hmm. um, <laughs> wow so wow that's an amazing story yeah so it can just happen yeah i mean yeah. you know the, the seed had been planted i guess sure. by these other people but yeah. nope he just mm -hmm. went okay <laughs> wow that's incredible i bet you have a million stories yeah uh do you, i have you written them all down for yourself or well, the, Are you going to write more books? The, for, the, <laughs> for the gang, that's all in the book, Choosing Your Life Story. Uh -huh. But there is one that's not in there. It's a white guy whose name is Brian, and his video's out there, his, so I'm not violating him. Um, but he uh, was in high school, and he was obsessed with board sports, and he didn't make the baseball team. Mm. So he said to himself, okay, if I can't make the good team, I'm going to make the bad team. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. he got involved with the bad team, and to show them that he was really, you know, one of them, uh, he participated in a robbery of a Seven Eleven and ended up killing the uh, checker. Oof! Went to prison, mm -hmm. and he said that when he went into prison, he said, "Okay, God, help me. I, I, I've got to go home. Help me, help me." 
And so he started studying psychology, and he became so good that they used him in the prison to run mental health groups. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And then he went before the parole board, and he became the first person to ever get out of prison on the first hearing. Lewis, that I told you about, took seven times before wow. the parole board. But wow, Brian was amazing. the first time. And, wow. he, and he said, Sharon, I was sitting there waiting for them to come back to tell me, you know, and he said, I never expected to get out. But what I had decided was that my job was not the outcome of getting out of prison. My job was to relate to and understand every person in that room and their desire for the truth. Hmm. And that I had to own the truth, you know, and um, speak the truth. And he said they came back and they said, you're going on parole. Wow, he did his and job he, well then. Yeah. Wow. And, at the, and then he said, I heard a voice like there was somebody sitting next to me. And the voice said, I've been with you the whole time. <gasps> oh, my gosh. It's like, wow. Okay. I, you know, I don't, I just listen. I just yeah? listen. What do you think that voice is? It's some higher level. It's something I, you know, it's some yeah. kind of energy that's... Yeah. Uh, well, Joey's been on enough psychedelic trips that he's told me about. I, I he has me convinced that it, it's there's something, there's another consciousness out there, mm -hmm. or other universes, or something, mm -hmm. something we don't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that those are some incredible stories. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, uh, what would you tell Joey and me and Jan? What is what should be our focus now? Joey's kind of on the recovery path. He's working at it and he's making some strides forward and but we're definitely not out of the woods yet. What what should we be focusing on? I don't know if there's one thing, Beth. I think you've been doing what you needed to do, which was to be supportive to him in this mm -hmm. all the way mm -hmm. and working on yourself. You know, and believing in his resources and mm -hmm. believing in your own resources and Jan's resources. Mm -hmm. And Virginia used to say that when she went around the world, no matter what the culture, there were five rules that she saw people having unspoken that would impact the system negatively, mm -hmm. the families. The first was it's not okay to see what you see. Oh, like um, that never happened, that kind of thing? Or it's not happening right now. Oh, right. Okay. You know, daddy's drunk and nobody's acknowledging Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or mama's depressed mm -hmm. or the uncle's molesting my sister or me or yep. whatever. Oh, that's not going to go there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The second is it's not okay to feel what you feel. Mm -hmm. And that's huge, mm -hmm. right? The third is it's not okay to ask for what you want. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The fourth is it's not okay to talk about what you see and feel. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the fifth is it's not okay to take risks. Oh, okay. Wow. So those are kind of the dangerous, those are dangerous things in a family because mm -hmm. they will contribute to um, stuffing your feelings yes. and doing other behaviors to get what you need. What you need. Right. Yeah. So she said that. Helping families to grow is about helping them have the five freedoms. In other words, mm. breaking those five rules. Oh, my gosh. There's so much. Mm -hmm. There's so much to help us out there if we just can, mm -hmm. um, you know, get up out of the the chaos mm -hmm. and and just work at it. Mm -hmm. There's always more we can do no matter what, right? There's always more we can learn about ourselves, more we can give to others. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, uh, thank you, Sharon, so much for spending time with me today. This has been wonderful. And I just admire you so much. Mm. You're so wise and compassionate and, and, and quiet about it. <laughs> Sharon never toots her own horn. We have to kind of pull it out of her. It's just, and, uh, I just, I'm honored that you are a part of our lives. Well, it's tr truly been my privilege to have been connected with you for so many years, Beth, and, and with Joey and with Jan. I love you all. Oh, thank you. We love you too. Yep. And before we wrap up today, I wanted to remind you to find us on social media. Just put Safe Home Podcast in the search engine and you will find us there. Please go ahead and share this episode or our podcast with any families with teens or preteens. We really have a heart to help other families. So you can help us by sharing, also by rating and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, please visit our Patreon page. It's at patreon.com slash safe home. And a big thanks to our newest Patreon supporters, Mara Cram, Rika Kaufel, and Nina Smith. Your contributions help us to keep this podcast commercial free. And at the end of our podcast, we always say, stay safe together. Oh, yes. So would All you right. like to do that Sure, with me? sure. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we want you to stay, stay safe. safe.